0: Well, hello, hello. Welcome to TAO Intentions Podcast. For today's episode, we will be discussing evolution and power. Now, before I continue with the discussion or the lesson or the information that I just wanted to share today, I wanted to discuss the origin of this information. So back in the day, Oprah Winfrey was a pretty big deal. The Oprah show was playing every single day. Most people watched it. It was one of the most popular shows on television. I have to say that, you know, nowadays, we don't have a strong positive influence such as the Oprah Winfrey show as we did back in the day. And it's it's quite sad to know that we don't have that. Keep in mind, we have Dr. Oz who kind of covers a bit of what um, Oprah did a few years back and what people enjoyed and found beneficial in their lives. Um, right now we have The Ellen Show, which I tried watching a few times and honestly it just didn't provide me with any information or anything that I could walk away f- way with and say that I've learned something today. I was completely bored watching Ellen, but she's very popular and everyone seems to love her. So, This book that I'm going to discuss, the chapter is Evolution. Now, I read this book years ago when Oprah had brought this gentleman on her show. She had promoted his book to the point where she even added this specific book um, onto her book club. He had came on the show and, and conducted an interview with her, just talking about the book and talking about how people can really change their lives. So for me now, I, I've been watching Oprah since I was, what, 16, <laughs> I think. And most of the topics that, you know, she brought up on, on the show, you know, it shouldn't have influenced me in any way because her target market at that time were a bit women that were way older than I was, women and men that were way older than I was. But I did find that some of the things that she was sharing, you know, it was truly life-changing, for example, she had a specific episode where you know, she kind of helped a lot of men and women who are struggling with weight loss and just kind of talked about these sorts of things and being herself on the show and you saw her weight gain go up and down, up and down. And there was one specific episode where she had talked about how people who are working on losing weight, people who are you know, genuinely working on their self-esteem and building their confidence, that they should just avoid looking at um, scales. Where you you check your weight, and a lot of people it became like an obsession. Like I remember seeing the episode, and you saw this person who woke up in the morning, checked her weight. Afternoon, checked her weight. Before she went to bed, checked her weight. She went to the gym. She came home. She checked her weight. And so Oprah at the time were just uh, explaining that you know it's kind of unhealthy. And it's not actually building your self-esteem to do that. So she's like, why don't we just focus on the journey? And she said, you know, get rid of the weights. Don't look, don't go and check your weight. Just go to the gym, do healthy lifestyles, go for a hike, eat healthy, and just focus on that before looking at the weight. Eventually, you can look at it one day, but it should not be the first thing that you do. And so i really did appreciate that going into high school you know a lot of us were we had our weights go up and down all the time and so it became kind of an obsession especially for women or young girls because they think oh the skinnier you are you'll be able to get a guy or a good guy i mean keep in mind looking back now you, not all the guys in high schools were you know great it wasn't something to to fight for in that sense so a lot of girls just felt that they needed to do the most and a lot of eating disorders started around that time. So with, with, you know, with Oprah sharing that, I found myself going, I didn't need to lose weight. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't even going to the gym at that time. I, am, I, I, I was who I was. There was really nothing I can do about it. And again, I wasn't really trying to pick up anybody at, at my high school I mean it's high school you can't really build a life on that um, or a man you find <laughs> a man that you find in high school that you've worked so hard to impress in high school i mean good luck to everyone who has actually walked out of high school and still kept the their high school sweetheart and you know they got married and have kids and they're now living happily ever after unfortunately that wasn't really my purpose or my goal i was not trying to find the love of my life in high school and i really wasn't trying to pick up any of the boys there either. And so I decided to take her, her advice and just not bother to look at the scale and not feed into that low self-esteem that seems to be promoted. Um, I want to say during that time, but I'm going to say that it has just been promoted throughout our entire lifetime, especially as women. It's almost like nothing's ever good enough. If we're too fat, nobody's gonna want us. If we're too skinny, nobody's gonna want us. It's like, okay now. <laughs> that pressure is not helping. Um, if a guy loves you, he loves you. If he doesn't, too bad, move on. Um, so I decided to just not use the the scale. And I was much happier. Some people would ask me, oh, what's your weight? Like, you look like you're losing weight. I actually couldn't answer that question at all. So. Um, To this day, I still don't own a scale. And I think years back when um, an accountability partner and I, I think this person just kind of made me their accountability partner. We weren't really on the same page when it came to working out in any way. I just kind of do things on my own. I make my own schedules. I do whatever I I need to. I don't really need an accountability partner when it comes to fitness. Um, So this person was trying to, to get me to start using scales and checking it every day and being obsessive about it, and I just was not interested in it. It came to a point where this person actually dropped off a scale because the excuse that I don't have a scale To answer this person's question wasn't good enough for them so they went out of their way to stop by my home and provide me with a scale and even though i already explained to this person this is not how i live my life i don't live my life going out and coming home and jumping on the scale just to see what my weight is every second of every day this person really felt that it was beneficial that i had it so that he you know this person could be a better accountability partner Um, for this and again i never asked this person to be my accountability partner in fitness this person wanted me to be their accountability partner but i guess when you are an accountability partner for for that person they assume that you should be doing the exact same thing they are supposed to be doing even though you are not on that same level with that person it's very weird very very weird So I I held on to it and I just kind of left it in a corner and it came to a point where the person would message me like how many times a day going, what's your weight? What's your weight? What's your weight? It was completely annoying. Oh my God. So, you know, I had to turn around and go, um, here's my weight. I just weighed it. Are you happy? And the person's like, yeah, I am happy, but you know, it's, it's not showing that you're losing any weight. And I said, well, that's because I'm not the one here that's working out 24-7 trying to get that six-pack because it's their goal. Their goal in life is to have this six-pack. A six-pack is not going to make me happier. Being healthy, taking better care of myself, um, I like the way that working out makes me feel. And so adding that added pressure and stress to to you know, working out is not something that I feel um would benefit my life in any way. I just I like to work out. I like to go to the gym. I like my weights. I like certain things. I don't I don't think about going home and getting on the scale and going, oh my God, I'm down one point. Woo! I really don't care about that kind of stuff. But this person was obsessed with it. So I said, Listen, you have your way of doing things and I have my way of doing things. My goal with working out is not to lose weight. It's to just to be healthy. I like the way it makes my body feel. I like the way my mind feels. It's not about fitting into some tight up pants and some mini skirts. It's really, It really isn't about that for me. I don't care to have a six pack. I would like to have a nice, comfortable, healthy stomach though, but having a six pack doesn't necessarily mean that your stomach is healthy. That's just a look. It's just a look so eventually the person just kept messaging every single day still pushing me to keep giving them the weight so i kept giving it to them but i never got attached to it and i think after a month the person was like oh well did you start you know getting used to using the weight every single day and i said no i only use it when you demand to know what my weight is um i don't live to check my weight every single day i don't this person was like oh but it's so like but when i did ask you for it wasn't it beneficial i said why don't you go look through your text messages did the weight change in any of the time that you asked me for my 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 weight and this person's well well no and i said okay so how beneficial is it for me or was it just beneficial for you to know that my weight wasn't changing did it change your life and the person said well no it was just to help you and i said again I never came to you asking you to be my accountability partner in fitness. You came to me. Just remember that. And so that was just my little story about that. And honestly, The Oprah Show has changed many perspectives in my life. She introduced me to a lot of books I have never read or would have thought to have read Books like these, for example, which is what I will be talking about today. She helped me to be less obsessed with weight loss. Thank you, Oprah. One of the things she taught me on one of her episodes, again, was to you know, stop checking your weight all the time. And I know I'm repeating this, but I really want you to understand, Like, if this is something that you want to do, you want to live a healthier lifestyle, don't do it. Honestly, don't put that added pressure or stress on yourself. Just let it go. Just give up the weight, checking every day. It's, it's really, it's, it's not healthy for your, your self-esteem. It really isn't. I felt that The Oprah Show helped a lot of people find their self-esteem and worth. It helped them to be more self-aware and they had more abstract thinking in all areas of their lives. You really, she really made me focus on finding myself. So reading the first chapter of this specific book in my early 20s was a mind-blowing experience. I couldn't get past the first chapter because it made me think, analyze myself, and started assessing areas of my life uh, that the author wrote about. So now I'm going to get into this topic. So I really hope that it, it does for you what it did for me. And let's now get into evolution and power So let's get into the actual book itself. The book is called Seat to the Soul by Gary Zukav. Again, I learned about this book through The Oprah Show. She also had it on her her book club as well. In his chapter, Evolution, which is the first chapter, he goes into the definition of evolution. He begins by discussing environments. He explains that an organism that is most able to ensure its own survival, most able to serve its self-preservation, is the most evolved, according to the definition. He felt that this definition was inadequate. He pointed out that our deeper understanding tells us that a truly evolved being is one that values others more than it values itself, and that value loves more than it values the physical world and what is in it. He believes that we should bring our deeper understanding and our understanding of evolution into alignment. By examining this understanding, we can perceive how we have evolved to now, what we are in the process of leaving behind. We can see what we are evolving into and what that means in terms of what we experience, what we value, and what and how we act. He explains that we have evolved into now by exploring physical realities with our five senses. Now, our five senses are sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. We see through our five senses that every action is is a cause that has an effect, and that every effect has a cause. We see the results of our intentions. He continued to explain that the physical environment is seen only from the five sensory point of view, which physical survival appears to be the most fundamental criteria of evolution, because no other kind of evolution is detectable. It is from this point of view that survival of the fittest appears, and physical dominance appears to characterize advanced evolution. Now when he talks about detectable, detectable meaning within those five senses. Now if you have sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste, and you're experiencing the world this way, you won't be able to see any other aspect outside of those five senses, and that is what he means by detectable. You can't see past what is not detectable. When perspective of the physical world is limited to the five sensories, The basis of life is the physical arena becomes fear. Power to control the environment and those within the environment appears to be essential. The need from physical dominance produces a type of competition that affects every aspect of our lives. It affects relationships between lovers and between superpowers, between siblings, And between race, between classes, between sexes. It disrupts the natural tendency towards harmony. Physical dominance seeks power over another, which again we see every single day in the news. Everyone is fighting for some sort of control, and control again is seen as power. The power to control the environment and those within it is power over what can be felt, smelled, taste, heard, or seen. This type of power is external power. External power can be acquired or lost, as in the stock market or an election. It can be bought or stolen, transferred or inherited. It is thought of as something that can be gotten from someone else or somewhere else. He even goes into explaining power and how we perceive or view power we view power as what we have bigger house fancier cars connected to a specific higher class or classism Um, how much money we have or make police slash, slash military can be seen as power due to the uniform the badge the boots the rank the weapon the country would be considered powerful based on the amount of weapons or how big their weapons are the perception of power as external has shaped our economy the ability to control economies within co- communities and within nations, and the ability to control the transitional economy of the world is concentrated in the hands of a few people. This made me think about the state of certain countries in the world. I have always thought that communities in poverty or a country in poverty was due to the fact that there wasn't any great minds, education, knowledge on or execution for success. Or maybe the leaders were just selfish or the situation was more systematic. I never thought that a country's leader had the power to decide where where could prosper or where wouldn't prosper. So there could be people in countries of the world that is deliberately keeping certain communities impoverished. And then there are larger, more powerful countries that keep smaller, more impoverished, restricted countries in poverty. I couldn't believe it. The world or certain people in society made us believe that if we are poor, it's our mindset or that we aren't working hard enough. So keep working hard. But really someone might be controlling the amount of people that could be successful. I have seen certain situations where leaders of small countries would scam their people or betray their people for money. Then they would move away with their immediate family while the country suffers in the aftermath of their presidency. I thought that was a selfish thing to do, but maybe they saw the system realize that it cannot be changed and decided to focus on taking care of themselves and their family. Maybe if if they were to push change, they they would be alone. Because the people that are benefiting from the mass poverty would find a way to shut them down and shut them up, if you know what I mean. When he talks about power and external power and how it could be concentrated in the hands of a few people, it means that there are people out there that we don't know about, that we might never see, who are controlling who is allowed to be successful and who isn't. And you know, coming to that realization in my 20s or early 20s, maybe even before I went to college reading this book, it just kind of made me feel so sad. It made me feel that people who are, are truly wanting to get out of the trap that they are in might not have the opportunity to do that. And keep in mind, there are so many ways for people to rise from poverty. There are so many opportunities that are are offered to to a lot of people. And so when I think about that and look at certain parts of the world, certain third third world countries that might not have the option to do all of these things because they don't have what we have here in Canada or the U.S. or certain parts of Europe, now I have to wonder if if, if it's the bigger countries that are, are keeping these third world co- countries impoverished or if it's the leaders of these third world countries that are deliberately con- continuing to push the system where the country or the people in the country will stay impoverished and maybe a selected few will see certain success so that, you know, there's um, a balance of control. Um, I'm not really sure, but... I've never lived in any of these third world countries and really dissected what is going on in their government and what's coming down and what, you know, who are the people that are are being more successful and who are the people that aren't able to succeed or able to rise in any way. So I wouldn't be able to give much of an opinion on that specific category, but it really does make me think that either the Bigger countries are bullying the smaller countries and making sure that they stay impoverished or it's the leaders of those countries that are deliberately trying to make sure that their country does not rise and the people in their country does not rise as well. It's a form of control and a control, of course. (sighs) Apparently control is power. So you gotta wonder, you really gotta wonder to continue. To protect consumers, we have created bureaucracies in government. To protect workers from those people, we have created unions. To protect the poor, we have created welfare systems. This is the perfect reflection of how we have come to perceive power, says Gary Zukov, as the perception of a few while the majority serve it as victims. And that's, that's a really sad part. Um, This is where my opinion is going to be thrown in here. Many third world countries do not have this to protect them. As for unions, it's questionable. A friend told me that they paid $5,000 a year in union fees to be a part of the union wherever they worked. Can't really tell you where. I can't say I feel very good about that, but most people consider it fair. Now, back to that point, with third world countries, they don't have some of these, these protection. I mean, union for certain people in third world countries, they can't do that. Most of the times they're working themselves to the bone just to feed their family. They don't have union costs. They get paid a bare minimum, which is nothing. You have certain large corporations in the world who goes to certain third world countries and pay them peanuts, literally peanuts. Um, to make their favorite shoes or your favorite clothes that people wear and they spend how much money here to purchase to fit into that specific tax bracket or a brand. Um, So some of these people really have no choice but to work 16 hour days just to make the peanuts to bring home to their family and even though they're making these peanuts, the peanuts aren't enough. So everyone in the household needs to get a job at this point to try to, to help each other survive. And so, in fairness, there is no fairness. And, you know, unions or welfare systems, um, bureaucracies in, in government who are fighting for certain social causes, like we have that here in Canada, they have it in the United States, they have it in certain countries in Europe and other places in the world, such as Australia and places like that, but they don't really have these types of services available to the people in certain third world countries. And so I guess that's why certain countries are considered to be powerful. And while other countries aren't powerful, a lot of people in other countries, third world countries aren't able to step up and to fight because the system makes sure to keep them at the very bottom to make sure that they serve as a victim always. Continue. Money is a symbol of external power. Those who have the most money have the most ability to control their environment and those within it, while those who have the least money have the least ability to control their environment and those within it. Money is acquired, lost, stolen, inherited, and fought for. Education, social status, fame, and things that are owned. If we derive a sense of increased security from them, they are a symbol of external power. Anything we fear to lose, a home, a car, an attractive body, an angle mind, it is a deep belief in a symbol of external power. What we fear is an increase in our vulnerability. In regards to power, those at the top appear to be the most powerful and therefore to be the most valuable and the least vulnerable. Those at the bottom appear to be the least powerful and therefore to be the least valuable and the most vulnerable. I like how he uses the word appear, which means the perception of the surface, outside looking in. I agree that they appear to be the most powerful, the most valuable, only in a sense of leadership, the face of authority, but they can easily be replaced. The least vulnerable is what I disagree with. People at the top have a lot more to lose. Their allies are few and they are only loyal when you are doing great, but would distance themselves from you when you are in trouble. The fear of losing it all is heightened. No one will sacrifice their luxury for you, their advantages, connection, money, or family. They blow where the wind blows, as so do fickle people. For example of this, I would say, you know, the royal family or the pope, um, they are powerful in a sense that they have authority and they are considered to be leaders. And so they can easily be replaced. Maybe not the royal family. You have to literally wait till someone dies before another person can move up. But in a sense of the pope, I mean, how many have they gone through in such a short period of time? And the same reception is given to each and every one of the people who are replaced as Pope. So in that sense, I I do feel that they are more vulnerable, in my opinion, uh, because again, the fall is, is harder, the fall is longer, and they can end up with nothing. As for the most valuable, again if they're so easily replaced are they that valuable i mean if you look at certain organizations and the fact that they change ceos so often it makes you wonder if they are that valuable if it's so easy to replace them for the next best thing it makes it seem like there's there are more of these people out there to replace what is is there So how are they the most valuable if they're so easy to replace? Leadership gets a certain amount of time in the government or as a leader of a country, and then they're replaced with somebody else when that time comes or if they don't get elected again. So again, are they the most valuable if they are easy to replace? As for those at the bottom, well, I agree that they are less powerful alone in a group, a mass group, by many, they aren't powerless, they are powerful. They are considered the least valuable, I disagree. The people at the top make money and are relevant because the mass at the bottom gives them that authority. We like seeing them rich our economy would not function without hardworking people. Hardworking people vote in our elections. The form, they form social causes that would implement change. They need people at the bottom more than there is a need for those at the top. You can't replace hardworking people. Our society needs more of them to function. As an entrepreneur, how frustrating is it to hire a lazy person? They talked a big game in the interview, but performance geez, kill you softly, kill you softly with the level of performance that they provide in organizations after such a big game that they talked in the interview. I feel the most vulnerable is somewhat inaccurate. Most vulnerable in a sense that you don't have protection. I use the term somewhat um, due to the fact that the fall is not as hard. If someone at the bottom loses what they have, there are opportunities to rise again. With someone from the top, it's harder. You really have to prove your value to be given a chance again. Prove innocent if falsely accused. So if the person at the bottom strike, business shut down, everything shut stops working. And so who, who is the most vulnerable here? At this point, if the business is shut down and it can't work, And they're not functioning. It means they're not making any money. It means that they're losing money. And so who really has the most power? Now let's continue. The competition for external power results in conflict. Conflict violence specifically. And wars. Conflicts can range from capitalism versus communism, religions, geographic, family, and marital. Our deeper understanding leads us to another kind of power a power that loves life in every form that it appears a power that does not judge what is encountered a power that perceives mindfulness and purpose in the smallest detail upon the earth this is authentic power when we align our thoughts emotions and actions with the highest part of ourselves We are filled with the enthusiasm, purpose, and meaning. Life is rich and full. We have no thoughts of bitterness. We have no memory of fear. We are joyous and intimately engaged with our world. This is the experience of an authentic power. Authentic power is what I strive for in my life. I have seen what external power has done to the world and humanity. It is not something we should aspire to become. I can't say that I know what my purpose is, but i know my strengths weakness and ability skill set and gifts but i can't say that i know my purpose or what it is i have asked a lot of people what their purpose was and they didn't know so i wonder is purpose a fool's errand another vague notion that was created as a means to control the population if you spend your days stressing about your purpose or seeking to accomplish everything, to find your purpose, is that living. The one thing I disagree with was we have no memory of fear. Fear is a healthy part of life. Fear is how we learn. We make less mistakes. If we take that component out of humanity, it wouldn't be wise is the point. Now, learning how to control your fears and not allowing it to hold you back or prevent you from living and experiencing the best that life has to offer is much more attainable and realistic than completely eliminating fear from our lives. Now, he might be saying, you know, that statement as we have no fear or no memory of fear. Again, there's no way that you can erase your memories from your brain it's a part of who you are, it's a part of your identity. So the things that you were afraid of and coming from that situation or coming from that situation and taking your power back and not allowing that power to control you is something that is much more rewarding, in my opinion, than just eliminating the memory of fear. It's, it's, It's healthy to have some level of fear. So that's the only thing that I disagreed with in regards to his statements. He continues, authentic power has its roots in the deepest sources of our being. Authentic power cannot be bought, inherited, or hoarded. An authentically powered, empowered person is incapable of making anyone or anything a victim an authentically empowered person is one who is so strong so empowered that the idea of using force against another is not a part of his or her consciousness i can say that i personally don't like to inflict pain onto other people especially violence onto other people so i kind of i am able to relate to authentic power in that sense and so i do find I am very happy reading this book again to see that what I did learn from that first chapter that I did take into consideration as, you know, as a 20-year-old and was able to just try to to mold who I am and to make the decision to be intentional about certain characteristics that I want in my better self, and so I do, reading that now, I I look back and I think, all right, I feel like I accomplished something, at least. (laughs) Um, To continue, we are evolving from five sensory humans into multi-sensory humans. Our five sensories together form a single sensory system that is designed to perceive physical reality. From the perception of five sensory humans, we are alone in the universe, that is physical. From the perception of a five sensory, intentions have no effects and the effects of actions are physical and not all actions affect us or others. Now we're going to break down multisensory human. From the perception of the multisensory human extend beyond physical reality to the large dynamic system of which our physical reality to the large dynamic system of which our physical reality is a part of. Let's continue, maybe that will make a bit more sense. The multisensory human is able to perceive and to appreciate the role that our physical reality plays in a larger picture of evolution and the dynamics by which our physical reality is created and sustained. From the perception of the multisensory human the physical world is a learning environment that is created jointly by the souls that share it and everything that occurs within it serves their learning. This I actually agree with. From the perception of the multisensory human, the intention behind an action determines its effect. Every intentions affect both us and others, and the effects of intentions extended from beyond the physical world. This I 100% agree with, and maybe that means that I'm a multisensory human, and in that case, I am very proud to say that I'm a multisensory human. (laughs) I do strongly believe that every cause has an effect and every effect has a cause, and in that sense, I dedicated years of my life learning how to be more intentional with everything that I do and trying to better myself and choosing to be a better person. I want to grow into becoming a better person and that in, in, that means that I'm learning from my environment and I'm learning from the interactions that I have with people. Now, I have met certain members or certain people who, who live off chaos. They're intentional with their actions in a sense that they know that they're causing a disruption in your life and other people's lives, but they do take pleasure from it. And they're very intentional about creating that chaos. And now when it's time for them to be called out, of course, they're the type of people that play victim and say, oh, that was unintentional. That unintentional excuse does not fly with me anymore. You are allowed to use that once in my life, once. When you do something, that clearly hurts me or you're doing something to cause disruption or chaos or negativity or violence or anything that is negative in my life and I confront you about it and you tell me that, oh, it was intentional, I will give you that pass once. If I find that you're doing it multiple times, and you're still screaming, it's unintentional, it's unintentional, I would never do that, I love you, you're, you're someone that I value in my life, I'm sorry. I will never allow you back into my life if you cannot learn from your, in, your so-called unintentional actions. Because every cause is an effect. I have met people who would do stuff and they didn't anticipate the reaction that they got. And so they start playing victim and crying and going, oh my God, I can't believe you did that to me. But at the end of the day, you did something to encourage the reaction you got and now you want to cry about being a victim after what you put yourself through. Those are the types of people that I cannot stand as well. And I've had to cut out a lot of these fickle people from my life. And so, if anyone comes to you and says, oh, I unintentionally did this, I didn't mean to do it, but you notice that they're doing it over and over and over again, it's time for you to get a new friend, get a new boyfriend. It's time for you to maybe even consider getting another husband because this is not working. No one should contribute that much chaos in another person's life and say that it's unintentional because it is intentional if you continue to do it over and over and over again. He continues, your personality is that part of you that you were born with. It lives within you and will die within time. To be a human and to have a personality are the same things. Your personality, like your body, is the vehicle of your evolution. The decisions that you make and the actions that you take upon the earth are the means by which you evolve. At each moment, you choose the intentions that will shape your experience and those things upon which you will focus your attention. These choices affect your evolution or evolutionary process. This is so for each person. If you choose unconsciously, you evolve unconsciously if you choose consciously you evolve consciously and that right there is what i mean by intentional choosing to be intentional means that you will evolve intentionally now if you're just going through life and you're winging it and you're just hoping that everything's gonna work out at the end of the day then whatever you get out of life is what you gave If you're not intentional about the things that you're doing in your life, then guess what? You'll just end up nowhere. He continues, the fearful and violent emotions that we have come to to characterize human existence can be experienced only by the personality. Only the personality can feel anger, fear, hatred, vengeance, sorrow, shame, regret, indifference, frustration, and loneliness. Only the personality can judge, manipulate, and exploit. Only the personality can judge, manipulate, and exploit. I just want people to understand that. Only the personality can pursue external power. The personality can also be loving, compassionate, and wise in its relations with others, but love, compassion, and wisdom do not come from the personality. They are experiences of the soul. Your soul is a part of you that is immortal. Every person has a soul, but a personality that is limited in its perception of the five senses is not aware of its soul, therefore cannot recognize the influence of its soul. As a personality becomes multisensory, its intuition, its hunches, and sublime feelings become important to it. It senses things about itself other people and the situation in which it finds itself comes to recognize intuition and to respond to them rather than to the action and the words that it encounters i guess in that situation you know how the saying is does the words match up with the action or does the action match up with the words and can you believe them now that intuition part of you should be able to help you to to dissect and decipher if this person that you are encountering or actions and their words can you trust it can you believe them so i guess this is where he's talking about um, where that component of intuition comes from he also continues it can recognize for example a warm heart beneath a harsh and angry manner and a cold heart beneath a polished and pleasing words, and we've met those types of people. I have addressed um, this topic in fickle people podcast episode that had just, just passed, and so we did talk about fickle people, and so you can definitely go back and listen to that podcast episode, and this segment here that I just mentioned based on what he has wrote about is exactly what I mean by fickle people and how you have to learn how to handle them when they do come your way. If you don't have any experience and how to to deal with uh, fecal people when they come around, then you're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again and always getting your heart broken because you, you did not develop that intuition part of your soul or personality that could help you to distinguish if this person is here for you or if this person is here for something else that has nothing to do with you. He continues, when a multisensory personality looks inside itself, it finds a multitude of different currents. Through experience, it learns to distinguish between those currents and to identify the emotional, psychological, and physical effects of each. It learns, for example, which current produces anger, divisive thoughts, or destructive actions, and which current produces love, healing thoughts, and constructive actions. In time, it learns to value and to identify with those currents that generate creativity, healing, love, and to challenge and release those currents that create negativity, Dishonor and violence. Again, all of this means being intentional. He continues. Your soul is a positive, purposeful force at the core of your being. It is that part of you that understands the impersonal nature of the energy dynamic in which you are involved. That love without restriction and accepts without judgment. If you deserve to know your soul the first step is to recognize that you have a soul. When the energy of the soul is recognized, acknowledged, and valued, it begins to infuse the life of the personality. The personality serves the energy of its soul. That is authentic empowerment. This is the goal of the evolutionary process in which we are involved. And the reason for our being Every experience that you have and will have upon the earth encourages the alignment of your personality with your soul. Every circumstances and situation gives you the opportunity to choose these paths, to allow your soul to shine through you, to bring into the physical world through you. I really do appreciate how he broke down personality and your soul and what their purpose is in your existence. And, you know, when he was talking about soul, I do recall meeting people who strongly believe that they didn't have a soul. And the the more I thought about it, when the person had said that, I thought, okay, but if you really didn't have a soul, you wouldn't be talking about having a soul. <laughs> I know it makes no sense, but it's kind of like if you don't have something, you wouldn't be talking about it. And so to end this on a a positive note, I really changed my outlook on life because of this chapter. And it has also helped me to assess my external environment and my internal environment and how I'm going to break that down. I've got to figure that part out. But how how I would break them down. External factors are the things that come at you. So other people's emotions, other people's words, the environment that you're in. If you go to work and you're in a toxic environment, that's an external environment that is affecting you. Now, we process things... Especially as human beings, we process things where we take in what we're what we're seeing, what is being thrown at us. If someone is angry at us and they're showing it, like we're processing that anger within us. Now, internal environments—that is what you're feeling inside. What this person is saying or doing that's maybe triggering something inside of you, or is making you feel a certain way. Um, if what the person is saying is making you feel rejected or feel that you're, you're being abandoned, things like that are your internal environment. And so learning how to process external factors that are coming at you and processing your internal environment that you're feeling through trying to process throughout all of this helps you to then either speak death into the next person in front of you or you are going to speak life into them. And this is where being intentional about who you want to be in life or the person that you want to become, being intentional about that, this is where that benefit comes in. So being able to say this person is angry at me, but you're also feeling that they feel rejected by your actions or they feel that you've abandoned them when they needed you the most. And it starts to make you feel that you are a bad person. You can now take in the emotion that you're feeling internally and then now turn around and express yourself in a way that would either encourage positivity or negativity, but you can choose the person that you want to become. I think with the episode of Evolution and Power and breaking it down so that we kind of have an understanding of where this misconception even came from and learning that you don't have to choose to see the world in that aspect, but learning how to see the world in another aspect is considered you elevating yourself to a multi-sensory human rather than a five sensory human. Looking at the world through the lens of bleakness and negativity is is not something that you should be feeding your personality and it's not something that you should be feeding your soul. But if you know the true purpose of your soul and how your personality connects to that and how you both can grow together, not grow together, but you know what I mean, how they both can grow within you Um, then you are able to become a better person. And again, every single day, everything that you do is intentional. Everything that you do has to be intentional. You cannot go through life being unconscious and just living it and hoping that you learn something because the day when you're on your deathbed, you're gonna look back and realize you accomplished nothing because you were unconscious throughout the entire experience. Now, being unconscious... When you do end up you know, going to your deathbed, you can look back at your life and say, hey, I lived. I truly lived. I learned from this environment. I've learned from my time on this earth. And I've developed myself and I have conquered a few things and I have released negativity. I have promoted healing in my life and I've promoted healing throughout the people around me. And all of these factors that you start to list in your head on the day that you're about to exit this earth would just put a beautiful smile on your faith and you'll just feel like I have accomplished something and I wouldn't change any aspect of my life for the world. And so that was one of the reasons why I felt that this, this episode, Evolution on Power, talking about that specific chapter in the book was so important because it really change the way that I looked at life. It really helps me to change the way that I treated people or interacted with people. It helped me to understand what certain actions or certain emotions were, were what it actually meant. And so having that intuition or that hunch has helped me dodge a lot of toxic situations that I should never be in. And I look back at them and I go, God, thank you for helping me dodge all of those bullets because, hey, I took the time to learn about myself, learn about what makes me happy, and learn how to, to connect with people who I might have hurt and didn't know I hurt until they expressed it to me or empower somebody else. And because I've learned how to do these things, I feel like I'm much happier now in my life than I was before because I took this time. And so I just wanted to close this episode with a quote from Mia Angelo or Maya Angelo The heart, the mind, the personality, the spirit, and the soul has come to life together. accompanying accompanying the same space, and then they will go together into death. And so, thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for downloading it, listening to it, sharing it. I appreciate all the support that I have received. I do hope that this podcast grows, and I really do hope that everyone that listens to this podcast will will somehow learn something from every episode will then turn around and be intentional in their own lives and push themselves to become better people and so thank you all for the support thank you all for being here i wish you all a wonderful day and as for for those that have not liked or followed or subscribed um on any of the platforms We do have the Ambitious Obsession YouTube channel, so definitely go on, look that up, and subscribe. Uh, Don't forget to check out our social media pages, such as um, Facebook, The Ambitious Obsession, um, Instagram and Twitter, at The Ambitious Ops. So follow all of those pages. Stay tuned to what's next and what topic's going to be released every Wednesday on the podcast and what should be coming up on the YouTube channel. So again, if you like this episode, don't forget to share it. All right, so you guys all have a splendid day.